Well, if you're here for the very first time this morning, um, you're catching us at a bit of an unusual moment. Um, we're coming down to the home stretch of uh, a series that we've, in, that we've called Next, and uh, we're learning what it means to be a church that is generous. And so next week, we're going to actually be uh, bringing our intention cards forward, as, as Brian said, right here in the front of the sanctuary. So it, it isn't always that we spend a lot of time talking about money. Um, but at the same time, we believe that's an, an important thing for us to do every couple of years or so. And so if you're here with us now, this doesn't happen all the time, but we do feel like it's important. I think it's important for two reasons. First of all, it helps us to clarify and to sharpen our vision for who we are as a church and what it is that we're sensing God calling us to do. So moments like this help clarify those things. Um, and then secondly, it gives us a chance to talk about how we think about money and how our money affects us, and what we do with it, and how we think about these things. Consider what it also what it means, what God calls us to in regards to this important matter. So it gives us an opportunity to do some teaching as well. And in particular, during this series, we've been discovering that, that people who live a life marked by generosity are actually the happiest people in the world. Social science is discovering things about that all every day and as we move forward. Um, so this morning, I thought I would frame this message around a scripture from the book of Proverbs. And it's found in Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 and 25. So let's go there right now. Proverbs 11, 24 to 25. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And then let me read it from one more translation. This time it's from the message version of the Bible. Proverbs eleven twenty four to 25. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. And those who help others are helped. Now there's a 1946 classic movie that tells the story of this proverb just perfectly. The movie is called It's a Wonderful Life. You know it. Uh, and there are two characters whose lives are very different, and their two very different lives tell the story uh, by way of contrast. First, there's George Bailey. You know George. Here's a picture of George. Actually, you didn't know George was the first selfie, you know? I think somebody doctored that image. Let's give the real picture from the, there we go. First, there's George Bailey, and he's this, he's this likable man who, who has dreams and aspirations that are far greater than the small town that he finds himself living in. Uh, and he just desperately wants to spread his wings and go out and see the world. He's got thirst for adventure. He wants to take life by the horns. But he's a, he's a good man at the same time. And uh, George at a critical juncture, makes this difficult decision to stay home so that his younger brother can go off to college. And so that he then also, so George would shoulder the responsibility of his family business, which was a small savings and loan, a small bank that was generous with people who are struggling to repay their loans during hard times and was careful not to burden them with high rates of interest. So George lived a life of generosity. That's George. But then there's another character in the film, Herbert Potter. Herbert Potter, yes, boo, hiss, that's exactly right. Herbert Potter is the, uh, the other banker in town. 
And he, his heart is as cold as his business is ruthless. Uh, the fruit of his life are, are those cold bars that, that fill the gold in his vaults. And his vaults are brimming and overflowing. But Potter is greedy, he's calculating, he's ruthless. And the people around Potter are no more than people who are employees that do what he says because he's paying them well. And so that in truth, he's this lonely, uh, bitter man who is out to get Bailey and his bank. And so the story unfolds as, as the morality play that pits these two men against each other and their ideals against one another as well. Selfishness versus service. Hoarding versus helping. Greed versus generosity. And of course, you all know the culmination, the end of the story. Spoiler alert, close your ears if you don't want to know. At the end of the story, after a crisis in Bailey's life, a crisis of hope and a crisis of finance, um, George Bailey risks losing everything. And then he at last is rescued by the friends he's accumulated throughout his life. And his generosity comes full circle. As with delight and joy, all the folks in town who are clients of his take up a collection and lay it all on the table there on Christmas Eve and bail him out like he'd done so often for so many of them in the past. And so at this moment of celebration with friends and town, townspeople bringing coins and bills and bags of money and laying it there on the table, crumpled all, Bailey's bigger brother raises a toast. And he says, to my big brother George, do you remember? The richest man in town. The richest man in town. Hear the words of Proverbs again. The world of the generous gets larger and larger the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others will himself be blessed. Those who help others are helped. Now, if I pause here and ask any of us, who do we want to be in that story? Herbert Potter or George Bailey? I think it's a no-brainer, isn't it? We all want our lives to be lived generously, to love the people around us, to give in ways that we we can to, to bless other people. Of course, we want to live like Bailey. We all want to experience the largeness of life that comes through generosity. We all want to live large. But how do we do it? How do we get to that kind of living? Well, in order to, to explain it a little bit, I'm, I'm going to break out an illustration that I shared a few years ago in a message that... Uh, people have said have been very helpful to them. And honestly, this illustration that I'm about to share has been helpful to me again. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share it once again here this morning. Uh, and it's a metaphor that helps us to see what generosity and what generous lives really look like. The truth is our lives can be lived in one of two ways, just as the proverb says. We can live our lives as a conduit or as a container. Let me explain what I mean. Here we have a, a container. A container is like this bucket. And, and we can live life like a container. You notice that a bucket has an opening, but it has no outlet, no place for the things that we collect to go once we collect them. Um, as a matter of fact, the purpose of a container is to hold on to things, to collect and to keep. 
a, a bucket, a container, we say is no good if it starts leaking out the bottom. And so that's living life like a container. A, uh, a conduit is very different. A conduit, like this pipe, has an inlet at the top, a place where resource comes in, and then there's a way out at the bottom. And so the purpose of a conduit, rather than collecting, is for distributing, for allowing resource to pass through. And uh, as a matter of fact, very opposite from the bucket, a container starts, a, uh, a conduit doesn't work well if the flow gets constricted, if it freezes up or, or collects uh, junk and, and is constricted. The purpose of a conduit is to channel resource. And so our lives, very much like these two uh, things, can be one or the other. We can either be a bucket or a pipe. We can live as a container, or we can live as a conduit. Now, living life as a container actually confirms a narrative that is told about ourselves every single day. And that is a label that's placed on us by lots and lots of people. We are, in the eyes of many, we are consumers. We're consumers. Uh, we, are, we are here in this world to put things in our bucket, and of course, everyone around us has things they want us to take from them and to put in our bucket. They want us to buy from them and to put in our bucket. Things, goods, clothes, electronics, images, entertainment. We, we, we are consumers. This is the story that we're told ourselves. And so as consumers, we hang on. And of course, there's a problem because the volume of our bucket is only so large. And so what do we do? Instead of keep putting things in, we take stuff out we're tired of and we just toss it away. We throw it out. Or we get more buckets and bigger buckets. Uh, right next door, what is it that was built? A large storage unit. With a, oh, that's just a big, big bucket where we consumers put our stuff. And so that's one story that's told about us. But the story that God tells about us is very different. He names us as different than a consumer. The story that God gives to us is that we are contributors, that, that we are actually ones who receive resource and use that resource to bless the people around us. And in so doing, the flourishing, the largeness of the life that we see when we live like this comes back to us as great blessing, and leads us into these tremendous places of joy. Conduit leads us to be contributors. A bucket, living like a bucket, leads us to be uh, consumers. And so, once again, like the proverb, we have a choice to make, a choice of how to live. Well, that's why you see, oh, one other thing. The volume that, can, that a bucket can hold is always constant and limited. The volume of things. But the volume of resource that a conduit can have is unlimited because it's always giving back out. And so it's the volume transfer capacity, which isn't fixed but unlimited. 
And this is part of the part of the secret to that passage and part of the secret to the joy of generosity is because the good is unlimited. Life isn't small and petty. Life becomes lived in very large ways. Well, okay. Now we know how to live and we know what it looks like and we know certainly where we would choose, but, but the question is, why exactly is it that our lives get bigger and bigger when we live in the way of the conduit rather than the bucket? What happens when we give that increases the breadth of our lives? Well, I'm going to suggest three things. And as I do, I'm going to share some stories about how we do that here and, and maybe some vision, some personal stories about myself and some vision about where we're going as a community uh, in the future as we sense God calling us. Well, the first thing that happens when we give is that giving frees us to trust in God. Giving frees us to trust in God. You see, much of the reason that we hold on to the stuff that we have in the bucket that we, contain, that we have is because we like, we like being in control, not letting things slip through our fingers. We like to choose how we spend our money or how we don't spend our money. We like to live independently. Uh, we want to have what we want to have, and we don't, we don't want to rely on anybody else for the things that we need. And so we're under this illusion, actually, that the things that are in our bucket, right, are, are ours, that we've earned them, that we've earned a right to them, that in some ways they're on this planet for, for me, and, and that I have the control over the things that, that I collect. We also believe that the things we've collected in our bucket, the things that uh, these things will provide us with satisfaction, though we know how quickly some of that fades over time. And we also believe they'll provide us with security when things are lean. So we store up things in our bucket out of reach for anybody to touch until a rainy day. Now, on one level, much of this is good and right. The idea that we are careful about what we have, that we store up some savings, that we do find time to put some things aside, not just for immediate needs, but for later. Um, so planning well and all of that is important. But that drive that drives us towards self-satisfaction and security can, be, can become a challenge to that idea of generosity and will limit the breadth of our living if we let it take its hold on us. And so God understands that about us as well. He understands that about human beings. Now, I find it fascinating that, that God, when he established a people for himself, uh, back in the Old Testament, the people of Israel, he gathered them, he brought them out of Egypt, and right at the time that he was bringing them into the promised land, God begins to talk with them through Moses and the law uh, about something important about how to live. And he starts talking to them about being people who give and give regularly. We spoke about, uh, in the past couple of weeks, uh, how people in the Old Testament, God's people, were called to give a tithe. And that literally was 10%. 10% of the, of the crop that they, uh, that they plowed, 10% of their herd, and they would bring that tithe, that 10%, um, regularly and continuously on a regular basis. For, it was both for the support of the, the tribe of Levi, which was not given property, and uh, also for the, for the purposes of the worship of God. 
But the 10% wasn't the only time God called his people to give. He, he also asked them to give all kinds of different ways and at different times. They were called to bring their first fruits at harvest, the very first and best of their crop. Right when you're worried if that part might not be your security, God said, bring your first fruits. They were called to give offerings at the end of the harvest season, to give thanks to God, to acknowledge that it was from him. Uh, they were called to give at other times in festivals as well. And, and actually, they were asked to intentionally not go over their crops at harvest time twice to make sure they don't get every last grape or head of grain. And they're called to do that so that they would leave enough behind for the poor and for foreigners who are making their way through to be able to stop at their property and glean and survive on their way through. And so constantly he's challenging the people of Israel to, to, to give. Uh, and in all of this, we see God at work trying to open the hands of the people, to lighten their grip on their possessions, to literally allow much of it to intentionally slip through their fingers so that there would not be a shift away, so that there would be the shift away from self-reliance and a move towards dependence on God. Really important part of what it means to be people who are generous, who give. And so being reminded that he is first and foremost the provider, that, that we aren't first and foremost the provider, um, but he provides not only to us, but he provides through us to other people. I'll never forget the early days of my marriage with Julie. We were right out of college. We were 21 years old. We got married when we were young and didn't know any better, and it was the best thing ever. Um, and I'll never forget, during those early days, we set off for, uh, for a job that I had at a church in Battle Creek, Michigan. And uh, I was working at a church as a junior high youth director, and Julie was an ESL teacher. And so now this church, um, this church paid me a handsome six-figure income. The only problem was the first figure was zero, Okay. And the next figure was one. And it didn't get a lot better after that. But uh, I remember Julie, she did a little bit better than I was, but not much. And honestly, we didn't have two pennies to rub together when uh, we paid all the bills at the end of the week. Um, some people marry into money. Julie and I married into student debt. So that's how that worked for us. But those were very tight times for us. And, uh, but we committed very early because we knew it was important to, to begin our life together giving regularly to God. And uh, we sought to get to that 10% place. And now that was a stretch. And there were very tight times. And to be honest, um, when we did that, what we were saying was, God, I'm trusting you to provide for me in ways that I don't know how it's going to happen. And to be honest, more than even seeing it as giving to the church that we were attending that way, that, that time, and that was important, but we saw it as giving it to God. And the church was the means by which that happened. And so when we wrote those checks, we knew that this, this is money we might need later, or this is money that we might need, like, tomorrow or today. And uh, we felt the impact of every dollar and, uh, that left us, and we learned very early how to live on very little. That's part of the secret to it all that you realize what you really don't need to put in your bucket. Um, we, we trusted God for our daily bread and shelter. We, we looked to God for the things that he promised would truly satisfy and not just the things that we assumed might satisfy. 
and, uh, and we stepped away from trying to acquire a lot of things in our lives. And there was something amazingly liberating about that experience. At that point, we recognized that our lives aren't in our hands. Our lives are in God's hands. And what we've experienced over our nearly 25 years together is that we've seen God's faithfulness woven through the strands of our lives from that point on and even before until today. He's provided for our needs many times through the generosity of others, which is a very humbling experience. He's been with us through lean times, and he's been with us through times of abundance. He's allowed us to stretch and do some things that we never thought we would do. And he's been, and through it all, we've, we've never felt rich in the things of this world, but we've always felt rich in the things that really matter and truly last. We've seen God as the provider of all we need. And we feel like our lives are large because that's how we've chosen to live. It's not always been easy, and there have been challenges along the way. But giving frees us to trust in God. Secondly, the reason our lives get larger is because giving deepens community. Giving deepens community. You know, we spoke about how generosity was important for the young nation of Israel when God was establishing them as a people. Uh, the fact is, it also was important for the, for the very young church as the church was established back in Acts chapter 2. One of my favorite images of the church back then uh, that we find in the book of Acts is Acts chapter 2, verses 44 through 47, a, a passage that I'm sure you've read over and over again and may be very familiar. But listen to it again. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Now, one of the things I've loved about our church here in Wilmington is when I read that passage, I picture our church. The generosity that flows back and forth to members of this congregation from one to the other is, is very similar to what the early church was all about. I love catching you from time to time as you seek to help each other and to meet each other's needs. Um, I see it when uh, informally uh, you pass baby clothes from one to another. Sometimes I'll walk in my office and there's bags with names on it. And I look in and I see baby clothes. And I know it's a drop-off point for you to hand things along. I think that's a beautiful thing. I saw a professional woman one Sunday hand off some very, very nice business suits that she no longer could use to another woman who had just received a new job in a fancy office down in Boston but didn't have the means to purchase a new wardrobe. And I saw that transaction happen in our lobby. And I saw the tears of joy and gratitude with which they were received. And I thought, here it is, stitch by stitch, community weaving itself together. And the joy of our relationships together here in Wilmington deepening as things like that happen. I've watched families and life communities at Christmas time come and ask me, is there a family that might be able to be helped this season? and to be witness to some of the joy that takes place from that resource transfer, that conduit kind of living. And it happens more formally at Grace through our Benevolence Fund <clears throat> that helps meet people in times of transitional uh, financial distress, helping with housing 
costs and heating assistance and grocery cards and things like that. I just a few weeks ago got a card from someone who is going through a hard time and had received some support from us, the church. And she wrote, handwritten this card. It said, Dearest Grace Chapel, thank you from the bottom of my heart. I felt remembered and supported and loved at a time that it's daily tempting to feel forgotten or think that I'm forgotten and abandoned. Thank you for this gesture that filled me with joy. I think it's the fruit of a church operating in love. That's what living like this leads to. Deeper love, deeper richness and community. And each need that's met brings the kind of joy and vitality that you see in our community life here, that you see in the lobby, that you hear about in life communities. And then in even larger ways, when we contribute our resources together, uh, it builds community. We become actually mutual investors together in the things that God's doing here. Co-investors and co-beneficiaries in, in what God's creating here at Grace in Wilmington through our giving and through our generosity. You know, just before the storm last week, I went and pulled out my snowblower and, of course, found out that it does not work. Okay, epic storm, biggest of all time, and me with a shovel. Um, so I asked my neighbor if I could borrow his after he'd cleared out, and he said yes. And as I was using his nice new machine, you know, and I'm thinking, this is, i got to get me one of these. Um, I, I, I concocted a, an idea in my mind, and I went to him afterwards, and I said, hey, Jeff, I've got a proposal to make. What if I pay you half what you paid for this machine, and uh, we both own it? And we'll both pay the upkeep costs. You know, how many hours a week do you use a machine like that? Uh, not many, unless it's a week like this, maybe. Um, and so he called back a couple of days later and said, there you go, you, let's do it. And so I'm now a proud owner of one half of a snowblower, <laughs> you know? And you know what that investment with him has done? Now we're going to have to text each other to say, when are you going? Like, hey, let's, you know, why don't I come over and shovel? Will you? It, it knits us together, right? When you invest together in something like that. Well, it does not rival the shared connection I feel with all of you. I have to say that. Because here, we bought a building together, right? The Casa di Fior. We together are investors in this thing. This resource that God has given us that we share together. I mean, we share the heating costs. We share the light, the electricity. We share the, the space when we need it. Uh, we, we pay the cost of ministry together. The resources that we've been given have created for us a space like this to worship, a, a tech booth like that. I mean, we are co-investors and co-beneficiaries together. And when we see our giving like that, we start to say, it's not just me, it's we, it's us. Giving leads to rich community. We are in this journey together and you know, although I give uh, electronically, so you, you, you haven't ever seen me put anything in the plate, but every time, we, that, that's because I needed it for my own consistency and regularity of giving. So some of you may find that helpful. But every time that offering plate is passed during our service together, I feel this great connection to a community that is sharing in the costs and the responsibilities and the benefits of all that happens here by the grace of God. And so we're in this together, and together with glad and sincere hearts, like it said in Acts 2, we praise God and enjoy the favor of one another. That's living large. And it doesn't happen if you live your life as a bucket, as a container. 
And it leads us to the final point. Giving together allows us to do greater things for God and for others. You see, when we leverage the gifts that we give, when we, when we you know, like that table in Bailey's living room, if we were to put it all on top of a big table and say, now what do we do? Now what can we do? It's certainly more than anything that any of us could have done on our own. The picture in the lobby that we just hung is a picture of Turkana women. And, and it's just a reminder that together, we as Wilmington and Watertown and East Lexington and Lexington, on Christmas Eve, pooled $90,000. Now it's more than $90,000 together to serve 1,500 families in the Turkana district of Kenya. When, when Global Awareness Week comes around here and we get to experience in the, in the wonderful stories of our many, many partners around the world, it's a reminder that 20% of, of what we uh, collect every Sunday and every year, about 20% goes to serve people who are representing Christ around the world and here locally and regionally. And when we serve 13 families here in town on Christmas, that's something we couldn't have done on our own. But pooled together, we can make a difference like that. We can care for the needs of the community here and the needs of those who are struggling. The fact is, throughout our four years of ministry as a church, we've seen many, many people who are a part of uh, God's family now who weren't before we came, who are making their way, taking steps closer to God in faith, and very much a part of it is because we have committed together to be a presence here in Wilmington and to live our lives, to cast our lots in to the work that God has called us to do. Not necessarily something that can happen on our own. And, and we need to be reminded that God is not a timid God and his, his agenda isn't light. God's agenda for this world is bold and beautiful and good, as good as the universe he created. 1 Timothy 2, 3-4 says... This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. That's a bold vision. God wants all people to come to the knowledge of truth, to find salvation. Let's not forget God's heart is as big as there are people in this world. Billions of them. And he desires all people to come to him that they might experience the life, the hope, the joy, the peace, the significance that so many of you have found by, by finding relationship with him. Now, many, many, many of you can give testimony to the fact that relationship with God through Christ is, is like pure gold. Like, that is the treasure that I want to seek. And we want to share that with others. We want our, our community here in Wilmington to continue to reach out uh, to our community here in Wilmington and to the towns that surround it. We feel like God's vision is big, and so he calls us, he allows us to be used by him to fulfill the vision that he has. And so we're reminded that, that we live in an area where a quarter of a million souls live in Wilmington and one town around. A quarter of a million people, 250,000 people. And here we are. I'm reminded every time I sit up in the tower room and look out in the middle of the day that 160,000 cars pass our sign every single day. 160,000 cars.
past the Grace Chapel sign every single day. Some of you are here because you are one of those cars and you passed that sign and you felt like God was saying, check it out. We want to share Christ and His ways with the people around us. We want to continue to do that in creative and heartfelt ways. We want to continue to, to, to find opportunities to bring people into this place and uh, in, in ways that, that allow them to come in easily and without fear, but like a friend brings a friend to a place. That's what we want it to be like. We want to take away the barriers that keep them from coming or coming back. It's why we do our open mic nights. It's why we, we host uh, our Christmas Eve services and throw the doors wide open. It's why we're going to do Easter coming up, both to celebrate what God has given, but to show it to the world as well and to invite people to come. It's why the women are having women's events, men's, men's events. It's why we do youth ministry as well, because we have to make a difference in the world around us. We're called to change the spiritual climate of greater Boston. That's part of our mission as a church. And so Pastor Brian and the Board of Elders have been seeing what God is doing a work at work among us here in Wilmington. He's seen the very special nature of what's been happening here and the joy with which we share in ministry and the contributions that we all make, not only financially, but in, in the work that we do and the service and all of that. And so in the fall of this past year, the elders, uh, recognizing also the tremendous growth potential for, uh, for us here, have been that we've been experiencing uh, both in numbers and in vitality. They've, they've charged me and a small team of folks to just begin to look at the feasibility of, uh, of building a larger sanctuary right here at the Wilmington campus, of taking a look at the back space there, the large garage that we have in the back, and, and taking a look and see is there space back there that could either be repurposed, knocked down, maybe create another sanctuary that would allow us, we know on Sunday mornings, Often we're pretty tight on Sunday mornings. And the fact is, uh, people don't come to church if they feel like it's hard for them to get into the, in, get into the room and find a seat and uh, experience it. We've been tight back in our discipleship space as well. When Marv uh, came to teach the class, we had to turn away about 20 people the first uh, day. So, so we're just, we're finding ourselves in need of some more space and to increase our capacity. And so we begin to we begun to take a look at uh, possibilities, and uh, in a few days uh, we're going to be bringing some of the results of that feasibility study back to the elders, and in a few days the elders are going to have before them the intentions, uh, the the financial commitments of the congregation for the next two years, and so with all of that being wise stewards of the resource that God has given, the elders are going to make some decisions about how to best move forward and what bold things God might be calling us to. So we're still early in that process, but I wanted you to know that God is at work here in Wilmington. God is at work here in Grace Chapel. God is at work through you, through the, the time that you give, the, the love that you share, the relationships that are developed, and through the resources that you give to help make this a place where bold things can happen for God. It was a very big deal for us to come and start here in Wilmington. It was a great risk, a tremendous adventure, but we didn't, we didn't know what it was going to be. But God has moved in with us, and he was here before us, and he is bringing to life the things that are happening here in Wilmington. So I am thrilled to be the pastor of this place at this time, with you seeking what God has for us together. 
And I would encourage all of us to live lives as, as contributors, as conduits of the good things that God has given to us. Because remember, giving leads to living large. Giving li- leads to living large for all those reasons and more. And the world of the generous gets larger and larger. And so I want to leave with one final thought this morning. We'll be done. And the thought is this. It's really a reminder that at the end of the day, we are not the givers, right? At the end of the day, we are not the ones who give because the resource isn't ours in the first place. All that we receive from God, I mean, it it comes into our lives. All of what goes in is from God. And God is a good God. He's a loving God, gracious God, merciful and consistently true. The best we can be is conduits of that resource of his love and grace. And so people who allow themselves to be used by God as channels of his goodness into this world are blessed beyond measure, abundant living. Matthew 7:11 reminds us that if you then, as sinful people, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask of him? You want to live large? Lean in to a God who loves us like a dad, like a good dad and a heavenly father, and allow your life to, allow his resource to flow through your life. Open your fingers Open your hands and let it flow through. May we be conduits of a father's love for his world. For the good of the world we live in, for the benefit of those that we love, for the joy that we experience as a result, and for the glory of God who loves us and made us and redeemed us to be his own. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so grateful for how you've led us to this point. God, we've seen you at work in many tremendous ways. And we've seen that personally, individually, as a congregation and community. We've seen what you are doing around the world. God, we want to be a part of it. So as we consider what we might give this week, as we fill out our intention cards and prepare our own hearts to be responsive to your leading, Lord, we'd ask that you would give us boldness, great generosity, great vision for what you might do in and through us in the, in the years ahead. We thank you for Pastor Brian, for his leadership of us, for his humility and grace. We thank you for the elders. We'd ask that you would give them great discernment and wisdom as they make decisions moving forward. We thank you for the staff here at Grace and for the hearts that you've given to them to to give their lives and dedication for service. We thank you for the the congregations that surround us and, and, and lift us and move us forward and move you into the places where they live. God, it is only together that we can do the things you call us to. And we are so grateful that we are a part of a bold and courageous team led by a bold and courageous God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.